0: Good morning. Good morning. Those who are visiting with us, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we appreciate you coming, hope you come back to see us, and uh, we have several that are out of town, so we appreciate especially your being here. I'm going to go ahead and pull up this introduction slide, a space to remember, it's based upon 2 Kings the 5th chapter in verses 1 through 19, and Thank you, David, for reading that this morning. That was a long, kind of lengthy reading there, but that's that entire story. And it's really kind of a unique story when we start to get into that and look at that. And there's some interesting things that are talked about there, interesting people and so forth. But the one point that I really want to make at the beginning of this, there's a concept. There is a concept that is taught there. And that concept that is taught there in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, is just very simply this. There is a space that we share with God, and there's a space that we share with one another. And that concept is taught there in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter, and we'll kind of work our way down through that. But I want to give you this illustration. Now, I told somebody here recently that may not look like much but about 50 years ago the paint was all on that barn the tin was all on the roof and at 4 o'clock in the morning the lights were on and there was country music that was blaring from an AM radio and there were some young boys that were out there milking cows milking a lot of cows (laughs) that photo was actually taken probably 6 or 7 years ago when I, along with three of my other brothers, we went we went back to visit the old home place. The house is long gone. The barn is still standing. And I snapped that photo, and we, we stood out there, and we shared some memories and so forth. Laughed about some of the good times we had. Talked about some of the work that we did there, and we always talk about who did the most work. It was me. But... <laughs> But we do all those things, and eventually it's like, okay, who's going to buy lunch? And it's like, you cheapskate, you buy lunch. And it's like, no, I bought last time, you buy this time. And this is, then we all get back in the truck and we leave. But the point I just make is this. That's a space that we shared. And that space right there, it had an impact on each and every one of us, individually And collectively. And then as we grew up, and of course before I even grew up, we moved away from there and we went off to California and we had my brothers and sisters and so forth, went to various parts of the country and just kind of scattered to the wind. But every once in a while we may pull out the photos and we'll remember that space that we shared and the impact that that had on each one of us individually and then the impact it had on us collectively and the things that we share. And so from this, no matter how far you travel, how old you get, you take something with you. And it stays with you. And it helps you to become who you are and what you become. So it's that space. And so that's what I want you to think about this morning as we take a look at 2 Kings, the 5th chapter. And we take a look at these characters that are kind of revealed here within their story. There's going to be three primary. There's going to be this Syrian commander. There's going to be a prophet of God. And there's going to be this little girl and behind it all (laughs) is Yahweh. And we'll notice that. But I want you to keep that in mind. There's going to be a space that they are going to share. And it's going to become important to each and every one of them. 2 Kings, the 5th chapter, and I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. Now some translations right there say Aram. It's the same area, located northeast of Israel. It is that ter- territory, capital Damascus, but my translation says Syria. That's how it identifies it. Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. As you take a look at just those first few verses, there's like certain things that you got to start to pick out. And so this is an unusual story because oftentimes the stories that are contained in the Old Testament are talking about who? (laughs) Talking about God's people. But this particular story is unique because it's talking about the Syrian commander. And it says that the Lord, if you notice in your translation, it will say capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that, what that's talking about is Jehovah. It's talking about Yahweh. It's the covenant. It's the covenant God of Israel. So keep that in mind. As you read down through this. And it says. That the Lord. Yahweh. Had given him. Victory. <laughs> now let that sink in for just a moment. This is Israel's enemies. And Yahweh. Is giving him them, victory. So what I want us to do for just one second here, I'll try to make this quick. I want us to get the timeline. I want us to get the point in history in mind as we give consideration to this. See, we read this, and oftentimes we don't kind of really stop and think, But I want you to keep in mind that when this was written, this was written for God's people. So there's some things in here that we have to stop and consider because they would have just known. And so it talks about the Lord. It talks about Yahweh. And immediately they would identify that that's the covenant God of Israel. And there would be certain stories that would start to pop into their mind. (laughs) Oh yeah. That's the same God who called Abraham. That's the same God who promised to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And that's the same God who gave him a son, Isaac. And Isaac had a son, Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And they all ended up down in Egypt. Remember that? Yeah, we remember that. And then what did God do? What did Yahweh do? He rescued them from there. He brought them out. He brought them across. He brought them through the Red Sea. He brought them to Sinai. And he entered into a covenant with them there. And after they had spent a year there, then they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness until that second generation arose. And then it was Joshua that was going to lead them. This nation that God had promised was going to lead them into the promised land. And they went in. And they conquered it. And they spent a period of time there under the judges. And then there was a king by the name of Saul. And then there was a king after him by David. And then there was a king after him by the name of Solomon. And then the nation divided. And then what happened is you had Israel to the north and you had Judah to the south. And each one of those individual nations, they were supposed to be all one, but now they're two, they each one had 20 kings. And to the north, that territory that was referred to as Israel, out of those 20 kings, how many of them do you think were faithful to Jehovah? None. Not a one. And those in the south, they also had 20 kings. And out of those 20 kings, how many do you think were faithful? Eight. So that's eight out of 40 kings. What kind of average is that? Not so good, right? So, from the time of Solomon, we got this this morning in class, till the Babylonian captivity, that's a period there of about 400 years. And what I want you to get in mind is, right dab about right in the middle of that, when these kings are not being faithful, that's where this story takes place. This story takes place around 800 850 B.C. And because so many kings have been unfaithful to God, God's not going to just easily give up on His people. So what He does is He starts sending the prophets. And we're getting ready to study the book of 1 Kings and we're going to be introduced to these prophets. And one of those prophets, well known, is a prophet by the name of Elijah. That's the prophet in this story. And it's around 800, 850 BC. This is a time when God's people, Israel, they are not being faithful. And so now you have this story. And here's the Syrian commander. And Yahweh is giving him victory. Against God's own people. So, what I want you to keep in mind is this. At this point in time, Yahweh, who is the one true and living God, and if anybody should have known that, his people should have known that. But at this point in time, do you know what God's own people are thinking? They're thinking just like the other nations are thinking. And you know how the other nations thought about gods? There's just a multitude of gods. And it just kind of depends on what area of the country you live in. If you live in Syria, you know who the God is up there? That's Ramon. And we'll talk about him in a minute. That's who we serve. And if you happen to live down here in Israel, well, we have Jehovah, but but you know what? I heard that Ramon can help you. And Baal can help you. And we're an agricultural society and we need it to rain. So which God do I need to pray to to get it to rain? (laughs) See what I'm saying? The average Israelite at this time, that's the way they're thinking. It's not just Jehovah. It's not just Yahweh. But there are certain ones still within the nation. Believe in, but generally speaking, he is one God among many gods. Does that sound remotely familiar today? <laughs> is there one God or is this just a whole bunch of gods out there? It's a whole bunch, isn't it? So it's not that, that we're so far removed from these people, we can identify with them. And that's kind of the way Israel is at this time. And so God's giving victory to this nation. Syria against his own people. And those prophets, you know why God sent them? To call them back. To call them back. So, we have this man by the name of Naaman, commander of the Syrian army. It seems like at this point in time, though, as you read this story, Syria and Israel had been at war. If you back up, they were at war. If you go beyond this chapter, you'll see they're back at war again. But there seems to be a little break right now. But we're also told this, that the Syrians had been out on raids, right? That's what it says. And it just so happens they brought back this little girl. (laughs) And this girl from Israel now serves Naaman's wife. Isn't that interesting? So there she is. Living in Naaman's house. Serving his wife. So let me ask you a question. Naaman. Just what little you know about him right now. Do you think Naaman's a good guy? Or do you think Naaman's a bad guy? My thought. He's a bad guy. Isn't he? Isn't he a bad guy? The Syrians have been out on raids. And you grab this little girl and you bring her back? Do you call those kind of people good guys? <laughs> Kind of people who kidnap people? Are they good guys? No, I don't think so. But that's just what we're told. That's just one of the details. Here's this little girl. From Israel. A Syrian has taken her, made her a servant in his house to his wife. When these Syrians went out, do you think they killed anybody? Oh, you know they did. And so i got to ask myself, where's her parents? Are they alive? Are they dead? I don't know. If they're alive, do you think they're wondering where their little girl is? And if they're not alive, what do you think this little girl is thinking? See, we're just told that. She's in his house. Israelite girl. Serving his wife. And it says. Yahweh. Gave him. Victory. Yahweh gave him victory. I got to kind of scratch my head. Think about this. But do you know what one of the points that we ought to take just from that right there? God, Yahweh, is not only the God of Israel, He's the God of the Syrians. Now whether or not Israel is fully recognizing that, that's beside the point, that doesn't change anything. Whether or not the Syrians even acknowledge Him, that doesn't change the fact that He's still God. Do you know anybody today that does not acknowledge God? Does somehow God go away? <laughs> no, God's still there. So sometimes people will stand up, stick their chest down, and go, I don't believe in God. Okay. <laughs> That's your problem. That doesn't change God. He's still God. But one day you're going to meet Him. It'd be best if you got ready now. But that doesn't change anything. And so what we need to realize is we are told from the Scriptures that God gave him victory. What's that mean? That means God's at work in his life before he even acknowledges God. Let me ask you, was God at work in your life before you even acknowledge God? Mine too. And other people? Say. Because you know who God cares about? Everybody. For God's soul loved the world. Not select ones. <laughs> he has entered into a covenant relationship with select ones. And there's an application we can make today, but God cares. Everybody. Desires for everybody to be saved. So now I stop and think about Israel and are they being faithful? But that doesn't stop God from being God. He's still working. And Syria, (laughs) they don't even acknowledge him, but is he still working? Yeah, he is. So it says Naaman is a valiant warrior. But he's a leper. He's a leper. You know, in that day and time, Being a leper would be a real challenge. Now, it's obvious at this point in the story that his master has high regard for him. And you got to think that king of Syria, (laughs) I'm tolerating a leper (laughs) because he's out here winning battles and he's still got his respect, his admiration. But it doesn't change the fact that he's a leper. But in that society, that could threaten your social status, that could threaten your career status, and it certainly had an effect on the way that you were perceived in general. So, do you think Naaman would like to be cured of his leprosy? Oh, I think so. And so in verse two, it says that the Syrians had gone out on a raid in Israel <coughs> and they bring back he brings back this young girl and she serves his wife. So you have a little Israelite girl. You have his wife, you have name. And she says, Oh, if my master just knew the prophet in Samaria, he could cure him of his leprosy. So watch how this goes. And think about this. He goes on a raid and brings home this little girl. But this little girl, out of all Israel, it's obvious she still has faith in Jehovah. And she says to his wife, if he would go see the prophet in Samaria, he could be cured of his leprosy. And the wife tells who? (laughs) She's going to tell Naaman. And then what is Naaman going to do? It says he's going to go and tell his master. Well, who's his master? That is the king of Syria. Now you think about that. You know those people that we've been defeating? (laughs) There's a God down there that can cure me of my leprosy. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? Look at verse 5 and 6. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send the letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman my, my servant to you that you may heal him of his leprosy. <laughs> A little girl talks about this prophet and he could be cured of his leprosy and it has gone all the way to the king of Syria because of what this little girl said and now the king of Syria says go for it and not only go for it let me pull some political strings for you let me write a letter let me send along all kinds of gold and silver and these garments these changes of clothes And you can go down there and you can give this letter to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel gets this letter and he reads it. Does that seem a little strange to you? They've been at war. There's a little break right now. And now the king of Syria says, Hey, I'm sending my man down here. And I want you to cure him of leprosy. Verse 7. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and to make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Do you imagine open this letter up? Now here's this entourage out here. Here's the man who is second most important man in Syria. He's standing outside your door. He gives you this letter. He's got all kinds of gifts for you. Hey, would you read this? And what do you think you're thinking? Well, maybe finally we're going to have a little peace treaty here. And then you open it up and you start to read. And it says, I'm sending you this so that you can cure him of his leprosy. What? (laughs) Now, let me just ask you this. Is this a good day for the king of Israel or is this a bad day for the king of Israel? At first he thinks, "Oh, this is a good day," and now he's thinking, "This is a terrible day," because <laughs> you know why? Obviously, he's mocking me. He's trying to pick a fight with me. I don't. I'm not God. I can't raise people. I can You want me to cure him of his leprosy? I think it's interesting, also, that therefore he tears his clothes, and this guy's got ten garments with him. He's going to need them, right? This is crazy. We go to war with these people, but now you want me to cure this man of his leprosy? I don't do that. Verse 8. So it was when Elijah the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king and saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know. There's a prophet in Israel. I'm going to read verse 9 and 10. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots and he stood at the door of Elijah's house and Elijah sent a messenger here to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. So Elijah tells the king, hey, send him here. So obviously the king does. And so as you continue to read verse 11, so Naaman's going to come and now he comes with his horses and his chariots and so you see this kind of entourage that has showed up at Elijah's house. Second most important man in all of Syria with an entourage is outside your door. He wants to talk to you. And what does Elijah do? he doesn't come to the door he sends out a messenger he said go tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan and he'll be cleansed and how does Naaman respond to that he is furious don't you realize who I am <laughs> don't you realize what I've brought I've come down here to lowly Israel We raid you people. We kill your people. We kidnap your people. I've come to your house and you don't even come out? Are you kidding me? I thought for sure you would come out. You would wave your hand. You'd make this big production because of who I am and I would be cured of my leprosy. And then I'd give you a gift. And so he stomps off and he's mad. So. Notice verse 10. And Eliza sent a message to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. That's huge. That is huge. Naaman has no concept of how huge that statement is. So we have to kind of stop and think about that for a moment. Because Elijah says go to the Jordan. And once again this book wasn't written to me and you but it was written for us. But the people that this was written to they would understand what he's saying. (laughs) He's sending this man to the Jordan. Wow. Has anything significant ever happened at the Jordan? Oh yeah. See, remember when they were wandering in the wilderness and Joshua was leading them and then finally... God says they're going to get a chance to enter in. And they come to the Jordan. But it just so happens that the Jordan, it's that time of year when it's in its flood stage. And so this is what they're told. You get the priest, you get the ark. And you tell them to march forward first. And when the feet of the priest touch the water, God is going to stop. And then the nation of Israel... They will march over on dry ground. But he also tells them this. There's twelve tribes. I want you to take a leader from each tribe. And I want you to collect, I want you to collect twelve large stones from that Jordan. And I want you to carry them with you over there and to the other side to the promised land. And I want you to set up a memorial. Why does he want them to set up a memorial? Because in years to come, whenever your children ask you will tell them what happened right here. Yahweh delivered us. We crossed over on dry ground. And every time we see this, we remember what happened at this space. That's huge. Because that reminds them of who he is and who they are and what happened right there. Can you see that? Now, name it. I want you to go to that space. You don't know the story yet. This is where I want you to go. And so he sends. And he says you go and you dip seven times in that Jordan and you'll be cleansed. See for an Israelite and them looking back and reading this that would be full of symbolism. It would be full of meaning. It would help them to remember their connection with God, with Yahweh and with one another. So he went away and he was angry and he stomps off and he's about ready to give it all up. Now think about that for just a moment. One little girl, she still got faith in Jehovah. And she said, he needs to go see that prophet and he'll be healed. So the wife believes enough to tell her husband He believes enough to tell the king. And the king says, hey, go for it. And so Naaman sets out and he goes back. And he goes to see that prophet. But when the prophet doesn't do what he thinks he should do, he wants to stomp off. A little bit of, just a little bit of faith Brought him to that prophet. But he didn't get the answer that he was thinking. So he's ready to stomp off. But in verses 13 and 14. His servants are going to say to him. Master. They try to approach him very tactfully. Master. If he had told you to do something difficult. Would you try it? So somehow. They convince him turn around a little bit of faith brought you this far why not do what he said so he Mm turns around I want you to think about that for a moment what went on inside of Naaman's head right there do you think they stopped beside the road for a little bit And they told him, and he's like, let me me think about this. Back off. (laughs) Let me think about this a minute. And then finally, he's like, all right, let's go. We're going to go through. I came this far, I'm going to see it through. And so they go. Now, I'm kind of a visual learner. I've said that before so when I read these stories I'm trying to picture what's going on in here in my mind I'm thinking well, how did this all happen so they turn around and here goes the all, all the whole entourage and they go back to the Jordan and in my mind I can see him climbing out of the back of that chariot taking off his little helmet throwing it down untying his sandals throwing them off to the side and take off his shield and take off his sword and he goes way out into the Jordan And so when he got out there, did he turn around and go, I'm here. And they're going seven times. (laughs) And so he dips once. He dips again. And three. And four. And do you think he was going I told you. (laughs) And they're like, you're only to four. Keep going. So he dips five. He dips six. One more. And he dips. And he's clen- he comes up. What was the expression on his face then? Wow. Wow. Just like he said it would be. Verse 15. And he returned to the man of God. And he said, and he and all his aides, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Is that big? Did you hear what he just said? Now I know there's no God. What about all those other gods? They're not gods. What about your God? What about your primary God, Ramon? No God. There's just one. Now I know one. Isn't that Amazing. <laughs> Isn't that what Israel was supposed to believe? But now here's this man, Assyrian, and he said, now I know there's no other gods in all the earth except this God that is in Israel. Please, take a gift from me. Verse 16, but he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Elijah's just like, I'm not the one that healed you either. God's the one that healed you. I just passed along the word. I just, I'm just the prophet. He's God. I'm just a messenger. I don't need your gifts. I don't want your gifts. It wouldn't be proper for me to take that gift. Verse 17. So Naaman said, Then if not, Please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. What's the name and saying? It's a long ways from Syria. I've come all the way down here. I brought you gifts. I brought you a boatload of money. (laughs) When you calculate all that and you don't want any of it. But you know what? I'd like to take something back with me. What do you want? I want as much dirt as two mules can carry. Why is that? Because I'll take that back home with me and I'll build a mound. And from now on, when I sacrifice, I'll sacrifice to the God of Israel on that dirt from here. I want to take something from this space back with me to where I live. Because I want to remember what took place here. So verse 18. Then he goes on and says, Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Ramon, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. What's he saying? I know there's no other God. I know that. I now know that. And I want to take something with me from this place back to where I'm going. But you know what? As I go back and I'm back home and I'm back in my life, I'm second in command. And my master, the king, he doesn't know all this. And he's going to still worship that false god. And when he goes in before that God to pray for him and to ask his favor and do all those things, he will bow down. And because I am second in command, I'll be there. And he will lean on my arm and we will have to. Can you see that? And I'll have to bow. But I want you to know this. I don't worship that God. When I get back home I'll be back to associating with ungodly people. And sometimes it may look like in my association that I'm just like them. But I'm telling you I'm not. (laughs) And so I'm asking the Lord pardon me. Because in my everyday duties I may have to go in there. But I don't worship that God. I'll have to associate with these people. But I don't believe like they believe. And so I want to know. Can I take something from this space. With me. To my space. So that I can remember. Verse 19. Then he said to him. Go in peace. So he departed from him short distance go in peace I understand so as you think about that you come to understand why Elijah would send him to the Jordan because that's how Israel would identify and help them to remember Yahweh who he is who they are and the space that they share with him and with one another. And now you, Naaman, you're going to share that space with us. And Naaman sees it. Let me take something with me from this space. But see, for the Christian, we don't go to the Jordan. Where do we go? We go to the cross, right? And that's that space that you share with Jesus Christ. And that I share with Jesus Christ. But we share with one another. And you know what we did this morning? We came to that space. And we shared. we remember. But we don't have to carry dirt with us. (laughs) There's a spiritual application, right? You take the Lord with you. Because tomorrow, you'll be right back in the world, won't you? And I will too. And we'll have to associate with people who don't believe like we do. But we have to remember where our allegiance is. That's what Naaman was saying. Let me take something from this space. And when I go back to that space, I'll remember the God of Israel. A little girl, a Syrian army commander that has leprosy. How did that happen? Do you think that's just coincidental? Do you remember John, the third chapter? And Nicodemus goes to talk to Jesus by night. And what did Jesus tell him? Unless you are born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he explains to him in verse 3, about about chapter 3, about verse 8. The spirit blows, and we hear the sound of it. And we don't know where it came from, we don't know where it's going we see the results of it. And so when I read that story about Naaman, and when I see him stomping away from Elijah's house, and he stops, and he ponders, and he goes back, I'm wondering, I don't know, but I'm wondering, I'm telling you, what was going on in his head? And what was all the influence? I know a word was delivered. And we still have a responsibility to deliver the word. But is God working in people's lives? Absolutely. So it's just up to us. Do our part. He'll do his part. And you know what happens? They come to that space. Just like we did. And just like we shared. And we gathered and then we carry it with us when we go back to the world. That's a space to remember. That's Second Kings 5. That's all I've got to say about that. I'm going to extend the invitation though. Have you ever been to the cross? Have you been to Jesus Christ? Have you been to that space? You have an opportunity to do that this very day. If you need to know more about Jesus Christ, we'd love to study with you, to read with you from God's Word. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should, you need to come back to Him. We'd be glad to assist you in that. Let us know while together we stand, while we sing.